Welcome to Harnessing Your Wealth with Billy Peterson. As the founder and CEO of Peterson Wealth Services and a former jockey, Billy knows what it takes to successfully make it across the finish line. In this podcast, Billy and his team will help equine enthusiasts, business owners, and retirees identify their goals so they can improve their finances and achieve the future they desire. Saddle up and get ready to gain insight and strategies on how you can harness your wealth. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us once again today. This is Harnessing Your Wealth. I'm Billy Peterson, your host. Today, we have a special guest with us, Clint Carpenter. He is the founder of South Texas Oil Field Solutions out in Alice, Texas. He's been a longtime client and friend of ours, and we're glad that he can join us today to give us a little bit of background on what's going on in the oil industry and a bit about his life and what took him to where he's at today, becoming a business owner at a young age. And he's got a good story to tell. Sean Peterson also, as you all know, is on the call with us today. So welcome to both of you. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Clint, excited to have you today. I wanted to just maybe give you a minute to give us a bit more background than what I gave us already is tell us our listeners a little bit about you, where you grew up, how you really got into the oil and gas industry, and a bit about your business and stuff and the clients that you serve. Sure. So like Billy said, my name is Clint Carpenter. I live in Freer, Texas, and uh, my business is uh, primarily focused on the Eagleford Shell assets. Uh, I was born and raised here in South Texas in the heart of the oil field. Grew up, lived out in the country, did a lot of hunting, a lot of fishing, still enjoy doing a lot of those things. And so uh, oh, what better way to enjoy nature, right? <laughs> Organic right. meat. Life. So uh, grew up hunting and fishing, really enjoyed that. Always dreamed of having my own place out in the country. Grew up on a real small, real small place, seven acres. My mom, dad, and my little brother. And uh, growing up, uh, played all kinds of sports. Uh, always dreamed of owning my own business, but never really knew which business I wanted to get into. And, you know, like I think a lot of people uh, would say, they, they kind of stumble into what they end up making their, their, their career. Uh, growing up, I, I worked from the time I was 13 or 14, I lifeguard, uh, worked on ranches and I always dreamed of, of doing some kind of, of ranch work, outdoor work, dealing with wildlife. I remember in, in high school during career day, you had to pick two careers you wanted and game warden was always one of them. And uh, I thought it was going to be really exciting getting to be around big deer all the time, going on these big ranches until I found out that game wardens at the time only made about $25,000 a year. <laughs> I realized that was not going to help me realize any of my other dreams that I was going to have in life. So uh, actually I, I met my wife when we were in high school, I was a lifeguard. She was at the swimming pool. Oh, here we go. There's a perfect oh, yeah. setup. Yeah. So yeah, so it was a perfect <laughs> setup. We, uh, we met, we started dating and uh, our senior year of high school, we got engaged. And as soon as we graduated, uh, we got married. And at the time I was working on a 10,000 acre ranch out west of Freer uh, doing brush control. We helped work cattle. We did all the things that 
cool ranch people do. And, uh, I got a whopping $800 a month for that. And I realized getting married that that was not going to cut the mustard. I was going to have to do something different. We, uh, we had some family friends that, that, uh, owned an oil field service company here in Freer and I asked if they were hiring. And one day I got home from the ranch and there was an application on my, on my table, filled it out, showed up the next morning, got hired. And that was my immersion into the oil field. Uh, starting off early, I did a little bit of everything. I cleaned tanks. We picked up trash. We cleaned up messes. I mean, you name it, we did it. And, um, uh, it was really exciting. Every day was different. You never knew what you were going to do. And even if you were doing the same thing that you did yesterday, it was guaranteed to have a different outcome and, 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 and some different level of excitement involved. So that's kind of how, how I, I fell into it. And, you know, there's a saying that once you, you uh, start in the oil field, it kind of gets into your blood and it's hard to let go. And I will tell you that it's true. It, it's very true. Uh, I've experienced a lot of great things, a lot of great people working in the oil field. And really it's, it's the people and, and the challenges that keep you coming back to it. That's good background. I just keep thinking back to your time as a lifeguard, Clint, that, uh, that's something I didn't know about you. <laughs> yeah. All I can imagine is you and Ashley as squints and Wendy Pfefferkorn from <laughs> You know the sandlot. That was a great scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that was about uh, 55, 60 pounds ago. I'll just leave it. At that. <laughs> well, we've all been there. I mean, I I'm about forty five pounds overweight right now. You know, from my riding career. So <laughs> yeah. most people don't realize that. But anyway, back to your back to oil and gas business. So now you're you've you've walked us through your background. You've you've started this in this industry. And mm-hmm. I, I knew you when you worked at Forbes Energy Services and then yes. that company went public and, and you did well and, and had a little bit of resources and wealth behind you at that point. And you decided to go out on your own. What, what made that decision happen and, and how did that all come about? I had worked for a large publicly traded company before when uh, the original service company I went to work for out of high school got bought out by Key Energy. And the environment changed. And working at Forbes was really a family type environment. And uh, once it was public, there were a whole new rule book to play by. And uh, just you lose some of that familiarity. And and uh, I had really reached the pinnacle of what I could do at that company where, where I was at as a regional manager. The only other job was COO, CFO, or CEO, and I didn't see that I was qualified to run any of those positions. So uh, I started exploring other options, and uh, we we founded the company, we founded South Texas Oilfield Solutions in September of 2010. And our our job or our idea at the time was to provide services to people that were not readily available in this market, uh, namely being uh, specialized rental equipment, acid frack tanks, uh, 500 barrel gas busters, things for completion on large scale jobs that that the Eagleford was requiring because up until this point, people didn't have to use some of those services in our general area. Uh, so we, we got a few tanks, refurbed them, got them out in the field. And as we made money, 
we, we added to the fleet until we built up the fleet to about 80 or 90 tanks. We started selling some chemical and, and I just said, you know what, we got to do this full time. This is too big of an opportunity not to do it. So we stepped out on our own. Uh, our primary uh, customers were, were other service companies, but we also did work for Halliburton and a couple of the larger uh, drilling service companies providing uh, fluids to those guys for their oil-based drilling mud. Uh, in uh, January of 2013, we decided to go out and buy our, our first trucks, uh, which was primarily what our background was before trucking and disposal. We got our first three, went and talked to one of my old clients. They were in need, so we bought 15 more. They called and asked if we could get some more. So my, my dream of having a little trucking company with 30 to 40 trucks rapidly became 20, 30, 40, <laughs> then it was 60, and, and it just continued to grow from there to where, where we are today. Impressive. So really what I'm hearing from that is you weren't afraid to take a risk. As a, and I think that's key for a lot of business owners is they're not afraid to go out there into the unknown sometimes and, and put a little bit of money out there on the lawn. I'm sure you had to borrow some money to get all those trucks purchased. We, we did. We, we had some really uh, favorable financing at the time. You know, it was people were financing in the beginning of the Eagleford for as little as 5% down on, on large purchases like that. So I don't know that we'll ever see that again. Mm -hmm. uh, people really like to have things collateralized a whole lot more and be in a better equity position, but it, everything lined up. Everything was favorable at the time. It did involve some risk. You know, uh, anytime you start a business, you're going to have to guarantee everything that you're buying. And uh, at one point in time, we had way more uh, guaranteed than what I think anybody should have ever loaned to me. But <laughs> those are the risks that you, you have to take uh, sometimes if you want to be successful and you want to get in the game. You know, we were competing at the time against the four largest fluid logistics service companies in the world. And they were all right here in the Eagleford Shell, uh, had a very strong presence. But, uh, you know, it, it goes back to, yes, there's some risk, but it's also about the people. It's about your clientele, who you service, who you talk to, and how you handle those things. And if you treat people with honesty and integrity, uh, you really, there's not as much risk involved as you really, as most people perceive there to be. We had great relationships with everybody from the field level all the way to the, the uh, uh, executive levels in the Houston and Dallas offices. And that was that continuity that, that really solidified us and gave us the key to the success that we experienced. That's a great, great story. It doesn't come overnight, right? But it takes no. time and you persevere and you do things right and you take the high road. How many employees do you have now, Clint? Uh, we are up to, I think our last count was 235. Wow. Yeah, wow. 235. We're, we're currently sitting, our fleet sitting at 150 trucks. We've got about 500 tanks out on rent and we've got uh, two different saltwater disposal facilities. We've expanded into four, four locations now. So uh, really, we, we were able to cover the Eagleford Shell from Laredo all the way north uh, up to the Cuero and, and Gonzales area, which is kind of on the, the, the eastern 
northeastern fringe of the Eagleford Shell. We we work and cover the entire area. Impressive. You know, in 2020 and 21, I think most people wrote off the oil and gas industry as far as an in, from an investment standpoint. Mm-hmm. They underperformed. It was it was quite ugly, actually, from a standpoint of investor performance in owning those company stocks. But in 2022, values, they, you know, the energy industry led the S&P 500 and by a lot. Matter of fact, I think it was the only industry that was positive in 2022. And, you know, we take a little bit of credit. We here, we started positioning for that. We felt like there was a very good entry point in oil and gas companies as general rule. And we started taking steps to increase our allocation to those energy and commodity companies. A lot of that was framed around the idea that U.S. government was involved in a heck of a lot of spending. I mean, a lot more than we've ever seen or I've ever seen in my career. Um, coming out of the obviously the pandemic lockdown and uh, and then trying to restart the economy, but they the economy was being funded by the government. We had a forty percent increase in the money supply back in those days and. And we just thought inflation might become a bigger factor, and it was. And you know, I think that's one of the reasons why we see oil is still uh, really important for our economy's survival here. So, with that being said, what is the current state of the oil and gas industry as it stands today? Expanding, contracting? What's what's going on there? You know, we. Uh there's a lot of times we get mixed signals. Uh, of course, with the new green energy uh, push that we're experiencing, we never know what, what that's going to take. And it, it could just take uh, something as simple as uh, a different uh, a different looking Congress or a different looking House uh, changing rules and regulations. Uh, fortunately, we live in Texas and, and they do a lot to promote the oil and gas industry. I think people have recognized that you'll never fully be able to get away from oil and gas. Uh, you know, when the big freeze hit a couple of years ago, solar and wind didn't keep up their end of the bargain when all the solar panels were covered with, uh, with snow and everybody, everybody lost power. But we have ample supply of natural gas right down here, especially in our area. You know, when, when the Eagleford kicked off, everybody kind of focused on the oil and the gas was just something that came with it. Now they've discovered that that there's a new market for this gas that's down in the dry gas window of the Eagleford Shell. And it's prompted a whole different mini boom, I guess you could call it. Uh, there's not as many rigs running now as there was during the early days of the Eagleford Shell. But you have to understand that as, as the, the industry progresses, there's new technologies that come out. What used to take 30 days to drill a well, they can drill a, uh, a well in seven to eight days now and go on to the next one. So you're still getting lots of wells drilled. There's still lots of oil and gas production coming, but the 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 technology has been able to to change so that it doesn't it's not as costly. It's actually probably gotten way more affordable. Uh, we do see mixed things going on right now, and I think a lot of it has to do with with inflation. I don't know how much of it has to do with regulation that's being imposed, but uh, we we talk to a lot of people. Uh, we work for pretty much every major that's in the in the basin here, 
and they've all been very uh, optimistic about what they're seeing. We do see some a few drilling rigs being laid down, and I think that's something that's temporary. Uh, as as some people decide that they're going to shut down some of what they're doing, other people are ramping up right now. We are seeing a little M and A activity amongst the uh, amongst the the producers. Uh, some of our major uh, clientele have just uh, gone through or are going through mergers and acquisitions. But overall, I think everybody's upbeat. I think people understand that you can't get away from natural gas. You can't get away from oil. Uh, yesterday on our way over to Corpus, Ashley and I were driving and and there's a big uh, wind farm there with wind turbines. And every one of them, the, the original ones that have been there for a few years, you can see the hydraulic oil and the, and the lubricant leaking out the side. Well, they don't just make that you know, uh, out of thin air. Somebody has to drill a well, they have to extract the oil and the natural gas to be able to make those products that those people need, even to run those things. A lot of the, a lot of the components in solar energy are made with oil and natural gas, shampoos, makeups, they all, they all are made with, with oil and natural gas products, whether people want to admit it or not. So I don't think that the green energy push is going to have as big an effect on our industry as we as as we fear it may you know we pray and hope that that we get to continue doing what we do for a long time you know one of the things that we always question is and and we ask this in our internal discussions in our in our office is okay they want everybody to go buy an electric vehicle where are you going to get the electricity for that Right. Somebody's going to have to burn a, a natural gas turbine generator somewhere to power a grid so that everybody can plug it in. You know, California is a perfect example. Uh, they don't want any more gasoline or diesel engines uh, on the road out there. They want everybody to go electric. They couldn't handle the, the, the power grid or the, the needs of the power grid, you know, this summer as we were able to see. So, there's going to have a there, there's going to have to be a lot of thought and a lot of people come to the realization that we can't get completely away from it. Mm -hmm. And do you guys? I mean, you're talking a little bit about the the state of the industry, but as far as opportunities for the industry or for your own company, what do you see coming down the pipeline? You know, we uh, where we're at right now, we we've actually got everything that we can run. Uh, on the road currently. Uh, we have lots of opportunities coming at us every day. We're getting calls from from people, A, that we've never heard of, and B, people that said that, you know, they were they were good a year ago, two years ago, even six months ago. But now they're starting to call and say, hey, buddy, you know, maybe we could uh, revisit this uh, pricing that we talked about because there there is a shortage. And that's one of the things that out of everything that happened in the pandemic, you know, it, the oil and natural gas industry 2020 was extremely difficult. We, we finally got to a point in our business where we thought we had a good handle on everything. We knew kind of how much money we were expecting to make. It was almost like a salary basically for lack of better terms, but you know, the pandemic hit and uh, it, it affected everything tremendously. Uh, we did everything we could. We had great banks that worked with us to help us weather that storm uh, to get us through it. But one of the, the probably the most negative side effect of the pandemic that, that we've experienced 
is in the workforce. Mm-hmm. People who were uh, long-term oil field employees, uh, truck drivers, uh, that they realize that, hey, when something happens that affects the entire world or the entire economy like that, they don't need as much of our service as we do as they need. And then you couple that with uh, the monies that were being given out by the government for people basically to stay home and, and sit on their hind end. And there were no doubt people who really needed it. But, you know, I'll tell you an interesting story about that. We were trying to hire people and get ramped back up in 2021 because the opportunities were coming and coming and we weren't getting anybody hired. So I decided I was going to take the bull by the horns. And I said, I want every application and I'm going to do the interview and I'm going to hire the people. And the first guy that I interviewed, I went through the whole, the whole uh, shooting match, told him everything. He said, man, that sounds fantastic. And he said, how much do you pay? And I told him and I said, man, that comes out to about, you know, 85 to $90,000 a year. If you just work your regular schedule, he said, that's it. <laughs> what do you mean? That's it. And he said, well, I get about 75 or 80 right now on my government benefits. He said, I think I'll just wait it out. And I'm thinking <laughs> we've created a monster here. Yeah. How are we going to overcome this? And fortunately some of those long-term employees that had left the industry and they tried to go over the road or tried working in a warehouse it goes back to like we talked about in the beginning. When the oil field gets in your blood, it never leaves. It's always there. It's like a transfusion, so to speak. And we, we're starting to see some of those guys come back. They're starting to uh, come back, talk, and, and, and come back to work for us, which has been very beneficial because we're, we're at the point now to where we were always in a, in a position where we could – make a phone call if we had a new customer coming on and we could hire 15 guys in a week. And they were experienced guys that we knew, knew how to do the job. We had great faith and tremendous uh, faith in in them, but we can't do that anymore. So we're having to find guys that have less, less experience, maybe fresh out of driving school and start training them basically on what we do, how we do it. And, it's about a 50-50 shot. Not everybody that, that hears about oil field money is willing to do the work that it takes to make the oil field money. Hey, sorry for the interruption. I know you're listening to Harnessing Your Wealth and you want to get back to learning more about growing your assets and managing your wealth. But I just wanted you to know that you can always check out the show notes for resources and contact information. Billy and his team would love to hear from you. Boy, isn't that the truth? Everything that we're hearing from clients and around the industry, the folks that we talk to at different firms, and even in our own firm, I think that's the number one challenge is trying to find people that are uh, dedicated to the job, that want to stick around, that know how to do the job. I don't know about you guys, but I watch the semi-truck drivers that are going down the freeway. I've never seen so many trucks in accidents tipped over. Mm-hmm. And I think they just hired a whole bunch of drivers just because there was a shortage of people who, again, like mm-hmm. you said, Clint, we were doing the work and a lot of folks who had zero qualifications to drive these trucks and they were out there doing it. Uh, yeah. A lot of wrecks. There, you- we, we see it. We see it. And that's why during the slowdown, we took that as an opportunity to work on our safety. Uh, we brought people in, retrained people, really focused on that aspect of it, getting our people 
focused on what they're doing and, and paying attention to what's going on every day. You know, there was there were a lot of people that there were tons when the economy shut down. You could go buy an over the road tractor for next to nothing. And a lot of people went and they grabbed those up right before the things uh, things started to uh you know, come back up, the economy started to boom again and we started coming out of the pandemic. And a lot of people that had never driven a truck before went out, bought their own, became owner operators because there was, you know, there was such a shortage. They were paying these huge sign-on bonuses and you see it just like you said on the side of the road every day, uh, Mm -hmm. things that are going on, it, it, it's created its own series of challenges, but you know, there was one thing that you, you touched on and, you know, in 2020, the oil and natural gas producers, the publicly traded companies, they really got beat up uh, just like every service company did. There were a lot of people who didn't survive. Uh, we keep a list of the people that we know of in our area. And right now I think there's 53 companies on that list that have gone by the wayside. Wow. And uh, we use that as a marketing tool when we uh, present pricing to our, our uh, customers uh, so that, so that they understand what we face because we, the last thing we want to end up is, you know, number 54 on the list. Hmm. And people think that just because you're, you're big that you make a ton of money, but it's not the case. Some people have no idea what it takes to run a business and the level of commitment that that it takes to get to that. Right. So a lot of it is about building while you can, you know, managing it, but managing your cash flows, correct? Understanding yes. what you can spend and what you can't, which is interesting as we go into this 2023, looking up the scoreboard with our United States government in $32 trillion in debt. <laughs> uh, I kind of laugh because I think how, how are business owners supposed to learn from anything when our own government can't balance its budget? So that's kind of good for you to say and tell our listeners that as a business owner to be successful, you have to manage your cash flows and you have to learn when you'd rein it in and when maybe you go a little bit further and push on the gas. Yes, de- definitely. And and that's kind of the state that we've gotten into. We have added some some new some 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 more equipment to our our fleet here in the last uh, quarter, and we've got some more trucks that we ordered back in May that were supposed to be here in October and. We're supposed to receive them sometime the end of this month or March. So right now, if you order a truck, you place an order for a truck, they're almost 12 months out. <laughs> and uh, we've bought some used equipment instead of instead of new equipment. But I think now it's not about growth so much as it is our strategy is to capitalize on what we already have. Being smart with what you've got before you, uh, there may be other opportunities that come in and come up along the way, but you have to to take into account, you know, most of the people that we work for, we've worked for from anywhere from three to seven years. And it's a simple call on the phone, uh, visit with somebody, tell them where we're at, see where they're at. And, and it, you learn that it's a give and take. We, when 2020 came around, we worked for rates that I swore in 2018 and 2019, we will never run a piece of equipment for that rate again. <laughs> but you know what? It, it is exactly what we had to do to keep drivers. Did we make any money? Absolutely not. We lost a lot of money, but the commitment to our people is what we were concerned about because we knew the oil field always comes back because whether people want to admit it or not, the, the, the oil and natural gas market 
is a backbone of our, our economy. There's no denying that people can say what they want, but there's no way to get around it without oil and gas. This world does not move for sure. And simple. So we knew that it was going to come back and Billy, you touched on something earlier, you know, the, the, the stock prices on, on oil and natural gas producers, we saw it. You and I had some, some very in-depth conversations about that. And, you know, about some of the, the guys that, you know, are leaders in the industry, Conoco Phillips, Oxy. And when you see those guys at $8 a share or $18 a share, you know, for me as a guy in that industry, I'm salivating over here. I'm like, Billy, you got to buy some of this. You got to buy it. And and it's turned out really well, but uh, you know, it goes back to like you've always told me when people are fearful, that's when you should buy. When people are, 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 uh, living high on the hog, that's when you should think about selling. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for summing that up. (laughs) Yeah. What about, you know, we hear a lot about uh, China coming back online, they had their zero COVID policy. I mean, you you hear the talking heads on TV saying that's going to drive more, more demand for, for oil and gas. Would you, would you agree with that? Or would you say no effect? What are your thoughts on it? I'm going to be honest with you. I've quit paying attention to the talking heads on the news for the most part, uh, because whatever they say this morning is going to change by the six o'clock news. This evening. <laughs> I'm glad you figured that out. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, I've, I've deleted all of my, my news apps off my phone. Uh, uh-huh. I still see some of the, the big uh, headlines that come across, of course, but do I pay a whole lot of attention to it? No. You know, perfect example is the, uh, the EIA telling you that oh stockpiles are really high and 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 crude this 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 week and that's on Tuesday and by Thursday they think oh we didn't realize we had loaded so many tanker ships it's really down so I mean the fluctuation in oil and gas is it's almost a roller coaster that sickens you sometimes and mm-hmm. you kind of just you, you kind of have you have to monitor it but and keep your ear to the ground but. We rely more on what our folks are saying and, in, in, you know, the the executive offices in Houston and, and the other people in the in the oil industry. That's where we're getting our information. That's what we're basing our decisions on. That's good. That you, that's what we tell our clients. Don't look at your statements or your online access every single day. You got to have a longer term perspective and listen to the experts yeah. rather than yeah, investing is, minute to minute. Investing yeah. is not a short term it's not a short-term quick fix. Yes, there are people who day trade and I've seen people make tons of money in a day and I've seen them lose it all and then some the next. It's like a slot yeah. machine. Clint, well, I think so, we're, we're thinking of some similar people when you talk about day trading and people that have lost millions and millions of dollars trying to do it, but it's not as easy as they crack it up to be. I was no. listening to the news on the way in here and there's a new, there's a new company that's advertising their trading scheme called carnivore trading trade like the lions of wall street and i can't believe the sec lets these guys put these ads out there for folks and a lot of them will get sucked into calling them and probably thinking they're going to actually really make a lot of money there but uh this is for another day for another story i want to wrap up this session here with a couple of final questions for you and then we'll let you go, Clint. Thanks for all the commentary. Sure. You've done a really good job building your wealth, preserving your wealth from a, from a young age, as you mentioned. Just tell the listeners, if you will, just in, in some summary format, what's the best way for people to build and then, and then protect their wealth? It, it, it's very simple. 
it's very simple to say, but it's very, very hard to follow. And that's don't live beyond your means. If just because you can, and I tell people this at, at church all the time, I tell everybody, I mean, just because you can doesn't mean you should. You know, I know too many people that when things are good, they go out, they buy a, a big house, they buy a mom, a new Escalator Suburban, they buy a boat, they buy a little piece of property. And as long as they can make payments, everything is okay. And I'm just the opposite. I, I hate payments. I don't want anything to do with a payment. And if I don't need it, I really don't want to spend the money on it. You don't have anything to prove to anybody but yourself. It, if you want something and you can afford it, truly afford it, buy it. But don't don't let your spending control you. You know, I think a lot of young people, when they're first starting out in life, they uh, they think that the measure of success is to have a new pickup in the driveway or to wear the right kind of clothes. Or at the end of the day, you realize the older you get, none of those things really matter. <laughs> uh, you have to stay true to who you are. You can't be changed by your wealth. You can't be changed by your money. You can't let your money control you. Um, money is a tool, just like a crescent wrench is a tool. How you use it is going to determine whether it hurts you or not. And uh, I think a lot of people uh, just feel like they've got to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, and it gets them in a hole that they can't get out of. And uh, I've seen it over and over and over again. And and uh, I'm not going to say that don't ever go on vacation, don't ever buy a new car, don't ever do anything like that, but be reasonable with it. You know, if you have $50 million in the bank and you want to buy a million dollar car, hey, that's up to you. You got plenty of money to do it with, but just uh, don't, don't overdo it. Uh, if you're not real familiar with how the stock market works, find somebody like Billy and Sean to take care of your money and advise you. And when people come and give you advice, listen to it. <laughs> don't try to do it on your own. You know, I've, I've made some picks and recommended some things to Billy and Sean over the years. And some of them turned out real well. They were all centered around oil and gas and they were, they were all purchased at a low, uh, Anadarko during the, the, the BP oil spill who, the, whom they were partnered with bought it when it got down to 25, it rebounded to hundred. Everything worked great. Conoco Phillips and Oxy in 2020, that has worked out great. But there are some other things that I have recommended and they have, uh, they have allowed, <laughs> allowed me to reap my rewards. So I, I will tell you, if you're not real sure about it, you're not familiar with the stock, you're not familiar with the way the stock market works, find somebody to help you with it. Don't, don't, uh, don't try to figure it out on your own and, and say, I'll learn from my mistakes because sometimes you don't come back from those mistakes. Mm -hmm. Great yeah. point, Clint. Last question for you, and we're going to wrap it up, but just tell our listeners a little bit about where you're going now with your career. You've established yourself as a great business owner, built up a tremendous business. You have a great family. You're a good family man, Christian. Tell us a little bit about where you're going in life as you go forward. Right now, we... Uh, I, I, you're right. We have gotten to a point where I've been able to back off a little bit. We've got great people that we surround our, uh, we've surrounded ourselves with in the business. I've got great partners, uh, everybody from the drivers all the way to dispatch every aspect. We've got good people around us. So it has enabled me to back off a little bit. I get to spend a lot of time with my, my grandkids. We've got three grandkids. 
uh, all under two. <laughs> and so we're having a ton of fun with that. Uh, my youngest daughter is 18. She plays volleyball at Shriner University in Kerrville. We've gotten to travel a lot, watch her play. And uh, it's also uh, allowed me to pursue another passion and not, it is a passion, but it's a calling. It's what I really was created for. And, and that's ministry work back in 2011 or 12 uh, with uh, another two couples here in Freer, we, we founded uh, an outreach ministry called Muy Grande Ministries and we feed the poor. We help people pay their bills. We, we will go to the hospital. We'll pray for you. Uh, we've we've helped people with gasoline. You name it. However, we can help and be an aid to people. That's what we feel our calling has been. And uh, we finally got to build a building. We were patient with that. We've we've got a building. Uh, we host Bible studies three days a week. And uh, I've stepped into my my newest calling. What I feel God has really asked me to do for a long time now, and that is to spread the gospel. You know, uh, the great commission that Jesus left in Matthew 20, 28, when he departed, he said, go to all the world and preach uh, the gospel to them in my name. And that's exactly what we're doing. Uh, I've got a, a, a gentleman that I've met on Facebook from Africa. We're helping with his ministry. We're doing some some different things with him, but but we want to make a positive impact on people's lives and my, my job, my work, South Texas Oilfield Solutions has enabled me to do that. And I don't think that it was me on my own. I think it was divine appointment that, that we've gotten to this point, you know, God's favor has been on us in every, in every aspect of our business. We survived the downturn of 2016 and we said there would never be anything like that again. And uh, along came COVID and, we saw the exact same thing again, but we survived every time. But that's really where we spend the majority of our time is focusing on ministry, outreach, trying to meet the needs of the people, not just in our community, but but wherever they need help. So that's awesome. Cool. So cool. We love what you're doing, what you represent. We're proud to call you our friend and our client, Clint, and really good to have known you all these years and excited for what you're doing with your life and with all the good that you're doing for people around you. So thank you for being on the show today. Appreciate your time. We appreciate uh, it. We appreciate what you do for us. Thanks so much. Thank you, Clint. Just wanted to let you all know as listeners, you can reach out to us anytime with questions or comments. Visit our website, petersonws.com. You're also going to see that website has been revamped, new and improved. Love for you to Provide some feedback on that. You can also reach out to us, obviously, directly with the phone number 801-475-4002. Any of us would be willing to take your call and discuss what you're going through and maybe even just hear what you thought about these, the podcast show. So again, thanks for tuning in today. We'll look forward to seeing you all again soon. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Harnessing Your Wealth with Billy Peterson. Before we declare the race official, please click the follow button so you can be notified when new episodes become available. For more information about today's show, please check out the show notes. Visit our website at www.petersonws.com or give us a call 
at 801-475-4002. Once again, thank you for listening. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Peterson Wealth Services. The content has been made available for information and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.